who knows what could happen. And I got this idea that from, and I believe that it was impressed on me by the Holy Spirit, that I was supposed to put together a series from my favorite book in the Bible. I'd never done that before. Never had that opportunity. And so I said, okay. So, you know, being obedient and thinking that that's the right thing to do, I really started digging in. And for anybody that's in Bible study with me, you know that I've spent over a year and a half going through the book of Genesis. I love the book of Genesis, just so you know. So I'm really excited that we get to walk through a little bit of Genesis. But that being said, a couple months ago, Greg comes and tells me that he's not feeling well and he had to go in for a, a surgery uh, to, have some, to have something looked at and he didn't know what it was. And it was pretty, uh, pretty hard to hear what he was going through. And so we talked about, you know, what that looked like. And, and once he finally got his diagnosis that he had bladder cancer, I had already started working on this, and it was like, well, he knew once they told him what was going to take place that he was going to have to have surgery and that he'd be out for up to eight weeks, maybe longer. It was as if God said, this was what this was for. And so thank God that the Holy Spirit gives clarity to us, that he just, he just speaks to us in a way that we can't explain. You know, I'd, I'd like to tell people a lot. We don't, as Christians, we don't really need God to speak in an audible voice to us because we have the Holy Spirit living in our heart. He can speak one to another right inside of us. We don't need that audible voice. Now, if we get to hear it, wow. You know, it's like James Earl Jones. Some people think like Darth Vader's going to be talking to you. But the idea for me is that the Spirit impresses things on our heart like that in an instant because we don't need this this you know, majestic voice to come speak to us as Christians because we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts and it's amazing when he does give us that impression. So it's, it's pretty awesome to, to have that experience. So when Greg told me what was going down and I said, well, you know, I'm, I, I'll be ready if you need me. And he, so he has graciously, you know, put me in front of you. So hopefully by the power of God through the Holy Spirit, we're all blessed through this, and we're changed by it. So today, I want to open this series up, and I, more than anything else, you guys, my prayer is that we make much of Jesus. Can we just do all that we can to make much of Jesus through our time? Greg is going to heal, and he's going to come back stronger than ever, and God is going to continue to use him in the way he's used him over the last 23 years or so in this church and so on and so forth. And God is good. And he's in control. And we don't have to worry. We don't have to be anxious. We can cast all that aside. Cast your cares on him because he cares for you. So trust that, that God is going to provide, okay? Is everybody good with that? Amen. All right. Let's talk about the purpose. Why in the world would I want to talk about Jesus in Genesis? Do we ever see the name Jesus in Genesis? No, we don't. Do we see the name Jesus anywhere in the Old Testament? No, we don't. There's a reason for that, and I'll explain as we go through this next five weeks. Genesis is the foundational book of the Bible. If we didn't have Genesis, we would have no basis for the faith that we proclaim today. 
Without Genesis, how would we be able to prove any of the truths that we stand on? Genesis tells us the who, when, why, where, how the earth was created. It tells us all about humanity and God's purpose for our lives and why he created us. Genesis gives us the reason that we would live in a world that was once perfect but is now cursed. Genesis, Genesis tells us that we were born to be wretched sinners, that we would be separated from a holy God. But the good news is that in the book of Genesis, it actually tells us how that's all going to be changed, how we're going to have the opportunity to live in perfect relationship with the God of creation. And if I didn't already say it, I absolutely love that book. Because it gives me hope, hope for a future, hope for reconciliation with God. It gives me hope for a relationship with the very God who made us in his image. Genesis tells us about, the, about God the creator through whom all things were created. Hey, Caleb, hit that slide for me, would you? It's also going to tell us about God, the seed of promise, who comes to make a way for salvation that redeems us. It tells us about God, who is the, the great high priest, who intercedes on our behalf every day. It tells us about God, who is the messenger, the angel of the Lord, who is Yahweh in the flesh, and we will talk about that in detail in week four. And ultimately... It tells us about God, the King of Kings, who reigns forevermore, has redeemed us and made us new. I believe that searching the scriptures to find Jesus is a wonderful way to be encouraged and to remain steadfast in our walk with God. Sometimes I, I get saddened by the, what I hear when I ask people, you know, hey, well, you know, did you read your Bible today? Did you... Did you spend time in prayer today? And, and depending on where somebody's at, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, no, I didn't get to it today. And, you know, I didn't pray today. And it saddens me a little bit because to claim Christ is to claim him as Lord of your life. So how can you walk a walk with somebody if you don't read his owner's manual? How do you know anything about your car if you don't look at the owner's manual? How many of you bought, now if you buy a used car, you might not have an owner's manual. Just don't take that aside. But if you've ever bought a new car, what do you find in the glove box? You find an owner's manual. How are you going to know how to change the clock settings? How are you going to know what radio settings to go to? How are you going to know how to hit cruise control when you're on a ride? You're not, unless you, you can guess, I guess. But I'd rather read the manual. It helps. Guys, how many times has your wife brought something home, especially if it's from Ikea, and you go to put it together without the directions? How's that turn out for you? Not so well, does it? Pretty embarrassing, actually. I'm not a fan of that. See, this isn't just a good book. This is the word of the living, redeeming, wonderful, amazing creator and savior of the whole universe. I take a lot of pride in that. The sad part is, it's like, Every time I come up here, I feel like that always has to come out. Thank you, Jesus, because it's true. That's what this is. 
life. So, over the next five weeks, we're going to take a trip through Genesis and use other passages in Scripture to allow it to interpret itself. That's your first lesson. This isn't on the outline, but you can write this down. Scripture interprets Scripture. You can't take one verse out of the Bible and make up a whole doctrine that that says God knows what. Because if you do, you're just like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or anybody else that's outside of the Christian faith. Scripture interprets Scripture. We're going to use Genesis, and then we're going to take other passages in Scripture from the Old Testament and from the New Testament that help us to understand what Genesis was trying to tell us in the first place. Because the beautiful thing is that God, the Holy Spirit, through human writers, gave us this information to understand what he was trying to tell us. It may seem vague to us when we first read it. That's the beauty of Scripture. It, it doesn't leave us wondering. It gives us what we need for our life and godliness. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture is God-breathed. And is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In verse 17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for good works. So we're going to take the Bible and we're going to let it speak to us through the Holy Spirit. We're going to let it do the work. All I have to do is stand here and tell you about it. It's going to do all the work. Let the Holy Spirit work through your heart. So before I even get going, let's stop and let's pray that the Holy Spirit will come and illuminate all of our hearts and minds that we might hear his voice today. So let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have brought us together. I thank you, God, so much for your son. I thank you so much, Jesus, that you have made a way, that you have completely, completely finished the work that was set for our redemption, that you paid the price on the cross, and God, you were raised on that third day. And that you're ascended in heaven and you are seated at the right hand of the Father. And that we know that you're interceding for us on our behalf. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word. I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would just speak to our hearts and our minds. That, Father, we would hear your voice. That we would be changed and made new today by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So... My prayer for the series is that after every message, we can all say that we know more about our Savior than we did before we walked in, but most of all, that, we, that because of that knowledge, we become closer to him, and that the Holy Spirit writes these truths on our hearts and gives us a passion for sharing them with others. I can't tell you how much I love having spiritual conversations with random people. I just wait for somebody to say something that can trigger a spiritual conversation. I pray that for all of you today. I pray that that's how you would leave here today, wanting to share a little something of what the Holy Spirit's used to, to change your heart and to motivate you. So to kick things off, we're going to look at the very beginning. Knowing Jesus' identity is the most important piece of our salvation. Without the right Jesus, there's no relationship with God the Father. There is no salvation. There is no name. There's no heaven. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. That is a very bold statement. 
The good news is that Jesus can back it up. He can absolutely back up the fact that he is the only way. In the beginning, God the Holy Spirit knew exactly what was necessary to start off the Bible. The beginning. God is before the beginning of creation. He's the only being that had no beginning. He exists outside of time, space, and matter. If God were not outside of time, space, and matter, he could not create the very thing that we're sitting on today. He couldn't create the earth if he was inside of time, space, and matter. He created it. God is not a being who was created by something else. Yahweh is not something made up. He's not a fake deity. He is infinite. He's before all things, and in him all things were made. Colossians 1.17 says that very thing. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If he were not outside of time, space, and matter, how would it be possible for him to do any of this and hold it together? He couldn't. Could I sustain earth? Do I have the power to hold all things together? Not at all. Could we survive without gravity to hold us on the earth? Absolutely not. We'd float off into space. Could we survive without the air that gives breath to our lungs? Could we survive without the water cycle keeping all living things hydrated? No. We absolutely cannot. But God is not dependent on those things to sustain him. He's outside of all those things. He is the sustainer of all those things. God is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Take that verse, Colossians 1.17, write it on your heart. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I'm not sure if there's anyone in this room or watching on Facebook that would disagree with what I've said so far. Pretty sure that we would have a unanimous agreement and an amen. God is God. Unless you're an atheist, you tend to believe that something or someone started all of this. Even as somebody who's outside the faith of Christianity, you still believe that something had to start this, unless you're an atheist, and then you can claim that you don't believe it. And that's the real point of today's message. It's the point of the whole series. God is God. Unless you... Oh, I'm sorry. The fact that there is a God is not the problem. Everybody believes that there's something. The problem is with his identity. That's where we get lost. We get lost in who God is. So who is he? The world has all kinds of different beliefs and versions of God. There are thousands and thousands upon thousands of fake gods that somebody's come up with in their own mind and own heart and have called it God and decided to worship it. We do this. We worship all kinds of things that aren't God. But it's because we want to live and sit on the throne ourselves, which is what we are. We're born depraved. We're born into a, a wretched state of sinfulness. And we, apart from Jesus, we can't. there's nothing we can do about it. The Bible says that the, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? We must decide right now what version we're going to choose to believe. We will follow the world and make up our own version, or we will follow the Bible and the one true God. 
and I won't keep you in suspense, I'm pretty sure you know that I have already decided. God the Father, through the work of God the Holy Spirit, has brought and redeemed me by the blood of my Lord and Savior, God the Son, Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus is absolutely God in the flesh. He's not just some created being. He's not a made-up deity. So I'm not going to leave you in suspense. I'm going to let you know that's up front. Jesus is God. Sue me if you don't believe me, but I'll prove it with Scripture. He's not the Father, and he's not the Holy Spirit, but he's most certainly God. The book of Genesis is a marvelous account of the beginning of time. Again, I love it. I believe every word of it. God did create the earth. I might make some people mad. God did create the earth in six literal days. And I'll prove it with scripture. The earth was created in six literal days. It's not a span of time. It's not a day is a, to God is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. That's, that's not what that means. God created the earth in six literal days. He did create man in his own image. And if you have questions about that, see me after the service because I don't have time to unpack it. <laughs> or we might be here for a couple weeks. And as much as I'd love to tackle that, I simply don't have that time. So our focus will remain on Jesus and how Genesis reveals him as God and why it matters so greatly to our faith. God has revealed himself in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This doctrine referred to as the Trinity is essential to salvation. If you are not a Trinitarian, if you do not believe that God is three persons, you are not a Christian. I've said this before, I'll say it again till the day I die. That believing who Jesus is, his identity, that he is God in the flesh, but he's not the Father, he's not the Spirit. They are three persons, one being, you are not saved. I want you to take that to heart today because if you walk out of here believing that the three of them are not three persons in one being, God of all creation, you are not saved. It is an essential doctrine. You must believe it to be saved. And it, the Bible clearly speaks to all three persons in this Godhead. All three members are present in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1 1, 1, and you can thank that video. I'm not going to read all of Genesis chapter 1. Amen. Did that on purpose. Okay. But it says in verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now we could probably spend three or four weeks just on that one verse. But we won't. You're welcome. But if we go on, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. And I said that he did it in six literal days. God created everything from nothing. Verse 2 says that the earth was formless and empty. That, the, that was the dilemma with the earth. The earth was formless and empty. Now people ask, how, how did God create a formless and empty or void earth and it be perfect? Guess what? He wasn't done. Let him, let him go through the process. Okay? The earth was formless and empty for a reason. God was going to create. So don't get stumped on that. A lot of people try to make that into... Billions of years, and they think there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Guess what? That's impossible, because then you'd have to have death on earth before sin, and that's not going to happen. Did you hear that? 
There's no gap between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 because if that were true, there would have to be sin on the earth because death would have been taking place if there were millions of years. Can't happen. Sin causes death. Death only comes through sin. Can't be a gap between those two verses. The earth was not prepared to sustain human life at Genesis 1-2. We have to go through the rest of the chapter to understand how creation happened. Until God spoke, nothing happened. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It didn't say he spoke it. He did speak it into existence, but he didn't, it doesn't say that. Why not? Because once he started speaking, creation started to take place. That's where the sun comes in, but we'll get into that in just a minute. On the first day, God said, let there be light, and there was light. This light was not the sun. If you read the text, it's really simple to understand this, but for some reason, we get caught up on this idea that that light that God spoke into existence, he actually didn't speak it into existence, he just illuminated it. It already existed, because you know what that light is? That light is the glory of Jesus, the sun. It's not the sun, the star that our earth revolves around. It's, this, it's the very light of Christ. This light was literally him, and it illuminated everything. And this is confirmed in Revelation 21, 23. And this is the beauty of Scripture, interpreting Scripture. So you want to understand why that light is the light of Christ and not the sun? It's the S-O-N and not the S-U-N? Listen to what Revelation 21, 23 says. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the what? The glory of God gives its light and the lamb is its lamp. What's happening in Revelation 21? The new heavens and the new earth are coming down and it's being lit by the light of Christ. The same thing was true in the beginning when perfection was what the earth was about. On the second day, God said, let there be an expanse or a vault between the waters to separate water from water. God made sky to separate the water that covered the entire earth from the water canopy that surrounded the earth. This is really hard to understand. I wish I had my wife's globe so I could show it but in the very beginning there was no sky so all you had was this big ball that was full of water all around it all you could see was water if we were there but we weren't there but all you could see is water and surrounding that water was water from outside the atmosphere the atmosphere is what would be created and become called sky or the heavens so there was a water canopy that surrounded the earth and God put the sky in between the water that was surrounding the earth, that was on the earth. And he put it in between the water that was above the earth. And that's how we have sky. And the reason he did that is because that water canopy would keep a perfect atmosphere. While that water canopy was intact, the atmosphere was perfect. But what happened was sin comes into the world. We'll learn more about that next week. Sin comes into the world and it started to break down that atmosphere that was between the water. And ultimately, in Genesis chapter 6, we read about Noah. We move on and we find out about a great flood. That great flood was the actual breaking of that water canopy that surrounded the atmosphere. And it was the 
unleashing of the water that was inside the earth that flooded the entire earth. See, if it were just the waters that were on the earth that flooded the earth, if it would have just been rain, it wouldn't have covered anything. The land would still be there. But that water canopy burst, and that's how the earth flooded. And that's why the atmosphere is so messed up now, because we don't have that water canopy protecting us. I know there's a lot to take in, but, you know, if you read the book, I promise you'll come across that truth. But, so now that the sky is in place, those two are separated, and until that eruption took place with that global catastrophe, things were pretty nice on earth. People lived to be 969 years old. At least one guy did. His name's Methuselah. My wife really likes him. Anyway, so... But as time go on, as that water canopy broke and the atmosphere changed, that's how people started to die a lot sooner than what they did in the very beginning. So on day three, with the earth continuing to spin on its axis, God caused the water to move away for dry ground to appear. See, when the water went before God put the earth in motion, the water just kind of sat there. But now he's got it in motion. And by day three, that water now starts to separate. And God said, let the dry ground appear. And that's exactly what happened. He called the water seas. God also created vegetation according to their various kinds. Please note that God does not have, did not have any plant. He didn't have to plant any seeds in the ground for these trees and shrubs and vegetation to appear. He just said, let there be. And it was. It's funny. He didn't, he didn't plant seeds. Just fully aged plants appeared. Hmm. He did the same thing with Adam when we read about him in just a minute. A fully aged man, not a baby. It's funny. People want to argue about the age of the earth. Good theory about the age of the earth. It's about 6,000 years old. But it's aged a lot more than that. And if you want sidebar on that, just meet me after the service. I'll tell you all about how old the earth is and why everything seems to be billions of years old. There's a reason for it, but it's really only 6,000 years around that. On day four, God created the sun, moon, and stars. And once again, God shows the distinction between light and darkness, which is the distinction between perfection and evil. And the sun then represents purity and holiness, and the darkness represents sin and evil. God used the sun to give the earth exactly what it needed to sustain life. See... God put the sun there because he knew eventually we would fall in sin and the light of the sun, S-O-N, would now be veiled because it would instantly destroy humanity if it were not. So he needed the sun there to sustain life here on the earth. If the earth were this much further away, we'd freeze to death. If it were this much closer to us, we would burn up. It's ironic that God knew exactly where to put everything when he put it where he put it. But the earth came first. Sun came on day four. On day five, God created some of the animal kingdom. Up to this point, no animate creatures had lived on the earth. Only plants and trees were living at this point. So God created fish and other sea creatures along with every kind of bird according to their own kind. Now I've got to debunk evolution too. This is really going to take a long time, but I'm trying to hurry. Things can change within their species. Absolutely, science proves that. But nothing can change from one species to another species. Good luck finding anything 
fossils, any kind of dating material, whatever you want to use. You're not going to find anything that changed one species into another species. It doesn't happen. There are small changes that happen within species. You know, look at the differences. Look at dogs. You know, there's hundreds of different dogs. But guess what? What are they all? They're all dogs. They don't, it's not, they don't change outside of their species. They're the same thing. So God continues to say that. Of their kind, of their kind, of their kind. And then finally on day six, God created land animals. And most importantly, God created human beings. He created man in his own image. Male and female, he created them. Now I'm going to read verses 27 through 31 again. Since he did such a good job of it, that's all I'm going to read to you for that part. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that is fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God gave man and woman everything that they needed to sustain life on earth. Now that we understand how and why God created the earth, let's dig into the question of who this God really is. This is the big picture. This is Jesus in Genesis. God is the source of all things. He's the only reason that the earth exists or anything living on the earth exists. We are truly a gift from the God of the universe. But who is he? The first thing we can gather from this text is that God is the beginning. That's what Genesis means. It's a book of beginnings. It's an origin book. It tells us where things started. He's the only reason that this earth exists or anything on it exists. Everything originates with and from by God. Everything. God is the star of this book. God is the star. There's a lot of characters, but God is the star of the book. This is especially true in chapter 1 of Genesis. The word God in Genesis chapter 1 is used 30 times. 30 times. There's only 31 verses in, the, in chapter 1 of Genesis. And 30 times the name God is the word God is used. Now, if you've heard me teach or preach on who God is before, you'll know that I, I love the name Yahweh. I, I love to, to teach and help people understand that Yahweh is repeated in Scripture and that that is the God of creation. Or sometimes he's called Jehovah. It just depends. Now, you, in your Bible, it will use all caps for the word Lord. Well, that's, that's Yahweh in the Bible. That's been replaced with the English word Lord. But they put it in all caps so you know that it's the divine name of Jesus or of God. So the problem is, is that these 30 times in Genesis, Yahweh is not the, not the name that's used. The word is actually in Hebrew, Elohim. And it's, again, it's used 30 times. 
Instead of using the covenant name, it uses Elohim. This word is actually, it literally means gods, plural. It doesn't just mean God in a singular um, being. It's, it's gods. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy 6.4 in the Shema, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Right? So how can it, how can it use Elohim 30 times talking about God the Creator but he's one. Well, why does it say God's? That can be kind of confusing, can it? People really get hung up on this. This is, if you talk to a Muslim, the first thing they'll tell you is, how do you have one, one God, but you call him three gods? That's not what it says. It's not what it says at all. God has revealed himself in three person. So how is it that, you know, we make, how can we fit that together? How can we fit three persons into one God. Why does the text speak of gods in this narrative that shows how the God of the universe created the heavens and the earth? Well, guess what? I'm glad you want to know, so I'm going to tell you. Here's how it works. The Hebrew word Elohim, I said, means gods. It's in plural form. It's a plural noun. But you know what? It's connected to singular verbs. Every time it's used, it's used with a singular verb. That singular verb now makes it a singular form of the plural noun. I know that's really weird, but let me say it again. The singular or the plural noun is connected to a the plural noun is connected to a singular verb. Put together, they now make the the plural noun a singular form. So it's showing you that God is three persons, one being. Understanding a little bit of that Hebrew word helps you to understand the Trinity. It helps you understand that God has revealed himself in three persons, but he's still only one being. Remember, the Son is not the Father, the Father's not the Son, the Spirit's not the Son, the Son's not the Spirit, the Father's not the Spirit. Got it? Amen. We can talk more about it later. So on and so on. So... I told you, how many times does it say Elohim in chapter 1? 30 times in 31 verses. Over and over, this plural noun is used in conjunction with this singular verb. It doesn't make sense in English to us. It doesn't make sense because we speak English. But in Hebrew, it makes perfect sense. That's why sometimes it helps to know just a little bit about the languages. It also shows the plurality of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all present in creation. However, the English makes it so hard. But when we read this, we automatically default to believing that the Father is the only one responsible for creation. But guess what? He's not. The Son is actually the one who's responsible for creation with the Father and the Spirit. Don't get confused and think that God changes forms. He doesn't. I've heard a very, very, very prominent pastor on TV and on the internet teach this very heresy. I, you know, I, I don't want to be a heresy hunter, but it's a heresy to be what's referred to as a modalist. To think that God can be one form here, change into another form, and then change into another form, depending on the situation. That is not how God works. God is three persons, one being. 
He is omniscient. He, he can be everywhere at every time. He is omni, um, so that's omni, omniscience is knowing, omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. Why is that? Because he's three persons. The spirit is all around us. You can't, you can't hide from the spirit of God. When the son is on the earth, he is limited to where he's walking and going, but he knows what's going on in every place, time. Why? Because he's omniscient. God is a God who is three persons, one, one being. That being said, if we only had Genesis to read, could we conclude that God is three persons and that the Son of God existed before the incarnation? When he was born to Mary? Well, we can, but we really need help. And I said before, what's our one lesson for today? Scripture interprets Scripture. Thank you, Greg. We must allow the scripture to interpret the scripture. If you just take one passage and you run with it, you can get really confused. You have to let the clear passages explain the vague passages. You have to let scripture interpret scripture. So how can we know that the Son of God existed before he entered the world through Mary? Turn your Bibles to John chapter 1. This is where we'll land the plane. This is what it says in John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, does that sound familiar? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light. So that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. Remember what happened in Genesis chapter 1? When God said let there be light. Guess what? There's that light. He was in the world and though the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. But his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him. To those who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. And here it is, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, if that doesn't just, like, I could just, like, take the microphone off and walk away, just reading John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, because it clarifies that the sun is the light from Genesis 1, verse 3. It shows that the sun is the creator of all things. And Colossians 1, 17, that I mentioned before that the apostle Paul wrote, says that he is before all things. When did he come? Before all things, meaning he is infinite. He is much more than just something that we think could be created. He is the God of the Bible. He is the God of the universe. He is the creator of all things. And it's funny. John, the apostle, under perfect inspiration of the Holy Spirit, kicks off his firsthand account of the life of Jesus within the beginning. Why? Because he wanted to hearken back to where it all started. He wants to show you that Jesus is preeminent. He's not just some guy. He's not a great teacher. He's not just a prophet. He is the God of the universe. And come our fifth week in this study, you're going to learn that he's the King of kings and Lord of lords. And he is all in all. 
And he is the reason for us to live our lives. He focuses his gospel on, cre on the creation story because he wants to show you Jesus' identity. John didn't want to just try to tell you the story of what Jesus' life looked like there on earth for that 33 years. He wanted to show you that this is much more than just a man who died at 33. He wants to show you that he's the God of creation in the flesh. And verse 14 just, just drives a stake into any disbelief that anyone could ever have. How can you listen to John 1.14? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word, the eternal word, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, showing that he's not the father, he's the son, but he, then what? The word was God, showing that he is God. It shows, it shows the Trinity. It makes it clear as day. You can't deny it. If you deny it, you choose to sit on the throne. You want to be the Lord of your own life if you deny that truth. That is the difference between walking with God in perfect relationship and running with God straight to hell. It's, it is a choice, but the Holy Spirit gives us the opportunity. He draws us to a decision. He gives us an opportunity by faith. He offers us the gift of faith, and we have a choice to receive it. And we can take it and make application. God says that God so loved the world, John 3, 16, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Well, guess what? The gift is for everyone. But unless it's appropriated, unless you follow him, Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. You have to it has to be appropriated. You have to believe, and then you have to confess. You have to believe, and you have to confess. That's a power that is done by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Can't do it on your own. God had to make the way. Jesus is God in the flesh. He has always existed as God the Son, even before he took on flesh. You know why the name Jesus doesn't show up in the Old Testament? Because he had not taken on flesh yet. He's always been God the Son. But he hadn't taken on flesh so he wasn't given that name. You know what his name is in the Old Testament? I already told you. It's Yahweh. That's who Jesus is. He is Yahweh the Son. The Father is Yahweh the Father. The Spirit is Yahweh the Holy Spirit. That's why you don't see the name Jesus in the Old Testament. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word created the heavens and the earth. When you hear God speak, when it's God said, let there, God said, let there, you're hearing the voice of the Son of God speaking into creation, calling out plants from the ground, calling animals into existence. Calling the earth to spin at the perfect rate of speed for us to be able to sustain our lives here on earth. 
It's amazing when you think about the God of creation and how he's revealed himself to us. Genesis says Elohim. John says the word or the logos was in the beginning. It was with God and it was God. So to be certain, Elohim, plural noun, is one God who reveals himself in three persons. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Hebrew word that we translate as God is a plural noun connected with a singular verb. The only way that this can make sense is with an understanding that God is one being who reveals himself in three persons simultaneously. The Apostle John looked back to creation account in Genesis, showing us that Jesus is the propitiation for our sin. That's a big, big word, propitiation. He's the atonement. He is the only way that sin could be paid for. God himself had to step down out of heaven like Heather read for us from Philippians chapter 2. He had to humble himself, become obedient, obedient even to death on a cross. Why? So that he could be raised from the dead and be the King of kings and Lord of lords that we now live for until he calls us home. John doesn't stop in verse 1. He emphatically states that this word was with God in the beginning. He already existed, one more time, before the world was ever made. Jesus the Son has always been and he will always be. He is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Who made everything? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the Son, is the voice of creation. And if that's not enough, verses 4 and 5 say, In him was life, and the life, and that life was the light of men. The light that shines in the darkness but the darkness had not understood it. God said, let there be light. That light is the very same light that brings us life today. It hasn't changed. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Genesis 1-4 speaks of that light that shines without the sun. John says that that is the light of the sun, the S-O-N. Not enough, there's more. Verses 10 through 13. The world was made through him. To all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He made them born again. Not from the womb of a woman, but born of the spirit of almighty God. Who is this word and how can we know he was truly with God in the beginning? Verse 14. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible. The, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The Word became flesh. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's part of the Elohim or the God from Genesis 1-1. He was born into the flesh through the womb of a woman. He made his dwelling among us. Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is the creator. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And Acts tells us there is no other name, no name under heaven that can bring salvation.
None. Jesus is the only way. So I leave you with that today. Where do you stand with God? What do you believe about creator Jesus? What do you believe about who the Son of God truly is? Do you believe he was just a man? Do you believe he was just a good teacher? Do you believe that he was just a prophet? If that's where you stop with your belief, I'm sorry to say, and I pray that it changes, you, are not, you cannot call yourself a Christian believing just that. You have to believe that Jesus is the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world. So as we pray, I want you to stop and I want you to think about where you stand with Jesus. Because if the Holy Spirit's drawing you into a relationship with Christ because you don't really know the real Jesus until today, I pray that you would submit your life to him. That you would let the Holy Spirit do his work of salvation in your heart. And that you would be changed and made new. And next week when we come back, we're going to see why that's so important. We're going to look at Jesus as the seed of promise. And we're going we're gonna to figure out why it's so important that Jesus even is who he is. Because sin separates us from a holy God. And I don't want any person leaving here separated from our holy God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I, I, just, I thank you so much that you make things so clear to us. That you have made a way when there was no way. 